great to be with you this morning. And uh, yeah, I came in and uh, sat next to Joel. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when a guy gets married tomorrow, and you just don't expect to, to see him today, I guess. And uh, I was thinking uh, about <laughs> my wife and I, and I was trying to remember the Friday, obviously before the Saturday that we got married. And that Friday night, uh, it was the last night out with the boys. And uh, my best man, Kelly Burt, uh, Gail's son, uh, got all the buddies together and we went down to Westwood. And uh, it's quite a funny night down there. I, Joel, I don't know what you have planned tonight, but uh, uh, it was quite a funny night down there. I, you know, there's a guy down there preaching. You know, on that one corner where everybody preaches, the Hare Krishna and everybody else. And this guy's preaching. He was a good preacher. And uh, somehow or another, we got embroiled in this discussion. And I got arguing with this guy, uh, not with a preacher, but with somebody I was sharing my faith with. Not so much arguing, but asking him what he believed. And he was challenging me. And as we begin to talk, our voices begin to get louder and louder. And all of a sudden, I looked up and there's 200 people around. And uh, I'd never street preached before, but it was just kind of funny. I was thinking on Friday night, I was down in West with all, with all the friends uh, preaching, and it was just a funny experience. But I share that because that night, I'll never forget this, at about 1 in the morning, I got back from Westwood at about 1230, so it's actually the day I was get, getting married. And uh, I got home right up the street up here, up Sierra, and the phone rang. And I thought, boy, that's interesting. One o'clock, a phone call. And I was eating something after Westwood. And I was sitting right there in the kitchen. I picked up the phone and it's my fiance, soon to be my wife that day. And she says, she says, Scott, I can't do it. <laughs> I was, I was kind of tired. I said, I, I said, you can't do what? She said, in all seriousness, she says, I can't get married. And, uh, and you thought, what would you do in that position? I mean, it's that day. Now, Joel, I don't think that's going to happen to you. And, and I, you know what I did? I just said, honey, you're tired. I'll see you at the church tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just, I was remembering you, Joel. And what happened is she got so tired and so emotionally caught up in the day and the events, trying to get the wedding ready and the dress and the bridesmaids and the flowers and the cake. All that stuff, all I know that is tomorrow. If you're there, Karen's there, and you got some witnesses there, and the guy can say the vows, you're married. But, you know, you worry about all that, and she just got caught up in all this, and I just smiled because I knew she was just so tired. And uh, there she was the next day at the church, and we've been married for coming up on five years, and it's just been great, and you've heard it said before, and I'll say it, it does get better every year. So I'm really excited for you and Karen tomorrow. What time is it at, Joel? One o'clock. Fantastic. What a, what a great day. And uh, I, I'll never forget, I guess, the day of my marriage, seeing Patty at the end of the, the runway, if you can call it that. <laughs> at the end of the runway, in her white dress, to behold before my eyes for the very first time as my bride. And uh, just what a special day. And uh, I encourage all of you to stay pure until that day, because... Uh, no greater joy than to, to marry your wife and uh, to enter into a relationship together for the rest of your life. And uh, I'm excited for you. I was thinking as I was coming back to chapel today of some of the chapel experiences that I've had here at the Master's College when I was here. I, I recall one of them um, when uh, 
when we used to meet just right in here, except no chairs down on the ground, and they used to just put a, a wood podium right down there in the front below the, the music equipment. And uh, Dr. Duncan, you, is he, you still see him around? The old uh, uh, president here, not that he's old, he, he might be up there, but the past college president, a great man, I remember one time he was preaching away and uh, in Thessalonians, he taught us through Thessalonians, I still remember it, and there was a guy reading the sports page uh, right next to me, and uh, I was trying to catch up on it, and Dr. Duncan stopped and said, young man reading the sports page, and it was just, oh, you know, he fumbled in and he got all nervous, and uh, I thought that was just, I mean, I thought he was talking to me, you know, when you get startled, if, you, if, if somebody's sitting next to you and he points up there, and then I remember another time, we used to meet up in Rutherford Hall. Can you believe that? That used to be the cafeteria up there and where we used to meet for chapel. And I'll never forget, it's one of the funniest things. This guy was preaching out of Galatians chapter 3 on the Judaizers. And Paul calls them dogs there in, in Galatians chapter 3. He says, beware of the dogs. And he's preaching on false prophets. And as he's talking about the Judaizers and talking about the dogs, there was a little crack up the back side of the stairs. You know, sometimes how the door doesn't shut all the way. And you just heard this ruckus over there. And you look over, and this dog is trying to get into the doors. And he put his nose in, and he's kind of going like this. And the door's banging. And this dog came all the way up to the stage. And this guy didn't know what to do. And he, and he just went speechless. And he thought it was planned. And it wasn't. This stray dog went up the stairs and nuzzled his way into the doors. Unbelievable. But, but I think the all-time high that I've heard, it, it happened at Biola University when Al Martin was preaching. And uh, he's of the Reformed tradition. In fact, I was just listening to a tape the other day on the fear of the Lord. He's just, you know, the Puritan. And there was a girl combing her hair. Have you heard this? Up in the top of the bleachers. And he's in the middle of this, and you just couldn't hear a pin drop. And he's like, young lady! In the top of the bleachers, and it's just like, <laughs> how dare you comb your hair when we talk about the things of music. My friend told me she stuffed it in her purse real quick. So I warn you this morning, okay? Please be attentive to God's word. Great to be with you though today. It's just a joy uh, to be with you. And I was, I was collecting my thoughts last night. Uh, my thoughts ran a pa- ran past. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, when he was speaking to the Athenians in the midst of the Areopagus, he said there in Acts 17, he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining your objects of worship, I also found an altar with the inscription, you know it well, to an unknown God. And as he walked through the city, he's walking through seeing idols and false gods everywhere to the point that they even had an inscription on an altar dedicated to an unknown God. I mean, you think of the travesty of that, don't you? Here they are worshiping an object that they didn't even know, one that was made by human hands, one that was created by another human being, and they were worshiping it as deity, and it had no name because this God could not be known. And yet, I think so oftentimes as we speak of prayer, and as we speak on the subject of prayer, we are, we are as guilty sometimes as the Athenians praying to an unknown God. 
Not that our God is unknown. He's clearly revealed Himself in Scripture. But oftentimes our prayers don't reflect who God has revealed Himself to be in the Scriptures through His attributes. A.W. Tozer has said this, that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I think he's right. What comes to your mind when you think about God will be the most telling thing of your entire life. And I would say this morning that what comes to your mind when you pray to God will reveal the intimacy of your own prayer life. And the quality of your prayer life will be in direct proportion to your view of God and how you see Him to be. Open your Bible to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. For our time this morning, I just want to focus on what I call a prayer of David. A prayer of David. And in this psalm, it focuses on four great attributes of God. They are His omniscience, His omnipresence, His omnipotence, and His holiness. For our time this morning, I just want to focus on two of the attributes that David reveals in his prayer to God. Namely, those attributes of God's omniscience, that He knows everything, that He has all knowledge, and the fact that God is omnipresent, that He's everywhere at all places at the same time. Time. Look in Psalm 139 with me as we take this first attribute on God's omniscience. Psalm 139, verse 1, David praying, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. And then he says in verse 2, Thou dost know, and then he goes on to describe, but I, I pulled out those words where he says, Thou hast searched me and known me. And thou dost know. Now the question I pose before you this morning is how much does God know? How much does God know? Because when we begin to come to the grips with, come to grips with how much God does know, I think it will change our prayer life as it changed David's. Now when we speak of the omniscience of God, we're saying namely that nothing escapes the eye of God. God knows everything. One ill-prepared college student, however, taking an economics exam before Christmas vacation, wrote this on his paper. Only God knows the answers to these questions. Merry Christmas. The professor graded the papers and wrote this note. God gets a hundred and you get a zero. Happy New Year. I mean, that's true. If God took a test, He would get a hundred on every test because nothing escapes His eye or His knowledge. Our every thought, our every act, our every word is fully known by an all-powerful, all-knowing God. Now, if I were to give you a definition this morning as we speak on the subject of prayer, of God's omniscience, to say that God is omniscient, I would say this. To say that God is omniscient is to say that He possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. To say that God is omniscient is to say that He possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need 
to ever learn. But it is more than that. It is to say that God has never learned, okay, and cannot learn. That's unbelievable. Scriptures teach us that God has never learned and cannot learn from anyone. Now, to describe that, look over in the book of Isaiah with me, okay? Isaiah chapter 40. So we speak of David's prayer life here. He was gripped with the attributes of God. And here specifically where it says that God knew him. But as we come to Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 12 with me. As it speaks of God's knowledge there. Verse 12 of Isaiah 40 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales? Watch this. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And informed him in the way of understanding? Isaiah says, who was it that directed God? Who was it that counseled him and that informed him? Who was it with that God consulted with? Or who was it who gave him understanding? Who was it that taught him? And basically, he's asking a question and saying, no one, no one has directed the Spirit of the Lord. No one has been his counselor and has informed him. No one gave him understanding. No one has taught him in the path of justice. And no one taught him knowledge because he's saying that God already knows all things and knew all things from all time of his existence. There's never anything that God does not know. Let me ask you a question this morning. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess or had not possessed from eternity. I'll say it one more time. Could God, at any time, or in any manner, receive into His mind knowledge that He did not possess or had not possessed from eternity? The answer is no. If God were ever to receive into His mind knowledge, or possess something that He never at once possessed, then He would fail to be God. Because if anything was ever added to His knowledge then he would no longer be immutable. And if he had to change his plan or change his way, then he would be less than God. A.W. Tozer has said this about the omniscience of God, and we'll come back to Psalm 139 in a minute. He said that God is omniscient, is not only taught in Scriptures, it must be inferred also from all else that is taught concerning Him. God perfectly knows Himself and, being the source and author of all things, it follows that He knows all that can be known. And He knows instantly and with fullness of perfection. That includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the century or ages yet unborn. He continues that God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters all mind and every mind, all spirits and all spirits, all being and every being, 
all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible, in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. End of quote. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Now, when David says back in Psalm 139, as he comes to his prayer and his time of communion with God, he says, oh Lord, you understand this? Thou hast searched me and known me. And thou dost know. Well, what does God know? We said he knows everything. Now watch this in two. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Basically, he's saying... God knows all of your actions and all of your movements and everything about you. So he puts that together and he says he knows when you sit down and when you rise up speaking that God knows every action you take and every movement you make. Then he says in verse 2 as well, he says he doesn't only know when I sit down and when I rise up. He says thou dost understand my thought from afar. Not only does He know all your actions and all your movements, as He comes before God, He says God even knows His thoughts from afar. Not only does, does He know what you do, but He knows everything you think. And even before you speak, He knows what you're going to say and He knows all that even goes into your mind. Look at verse 3. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with some of my ways. No. And are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Not only does God know every thought we have, every action we take, every movement we take, but verse 3 tells us that He knows all of your habits. He knows all of your plans. He knows all of your aims. He knows all of your desires. And He's intimately acquainted with everything about you and I. He says in verse 4, even before there is a word spoken on my tongue. He not only knows what you say, but He even knows what you're going to say even before you speak it. He says, behold, O Lord, Thou dost know it all. It's amazing. Look over in Psalm 147.5. David has a similar thought there. Psalm 147. And a hymn there. It says in verse 5, speaking on... God's omniscience. It says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. And here it is. His understanding is what? Infinite. Infinite. I mean, is that not the cry of Isaiah in 40? As though Jacob could hide from Israel? Look, when we come before God, and as we speak and commune with God in prayer, David had a very conscious thought. He knew who God was. And because he knew who God was, he knew that God knew everything about him. He knew when he sat down and when he rose up. He knew what he had said and he knew what even was, he was going to say. He was intimately acquainted with all his habits, plans, aims, and desires. And you know what's amazing when we speak of God's omniscience? Is that God's omniscience and knowledge does not result 
from the process of reasoning. Do you understand that? You and I are students of God's Word. Everything you and I do comes from a process of reasoning. We're reasoning from the Scriptures right now. But did you know that's not, that's not God? He is not in the process of reasoning. And He is not in the process of observation. Do you understand? When we speak of God's omniscience, He already knows everything. There is no reasoning with God. There is no observation with God other than watching our moves. But He already knows everything. And what's amazing about the omniscience of God is that God never discovers anything. See, we discover truth, don't we, sometimes? We discover facts. But did you know, when we speak of God's omniscience, He never discovers anything. Did you know that God is never surprised? He's never surprised. As though something happened and He didn't already know. He, God is never amazed. Anything that happens, He's not amazed by it. Did He not know the Gulf War? He knew the Gulf War before time even existed. He doesn't find anything out. Did you know that God doesn't even need to seek information? How could He need to seek? He already knows everything. See, we have big computers now and technology that can put thousands and millions of thoughts and data on, on a little chip, right? But God already knows it. He doesn't have, a computer seeks info. He doesn't have to seek anything. God doesn't even have to ask questions. Why would He have to ask a question? He already knows everything. And God does not find out things after the fact. Right? He doesn't find something out. Oh, really? That happened? Oh, he already knows everything. God is perfect, and His knowledge is perfect, and it never increases. If God's knowledge increased, then we would say God is growing, and God is in a process. And Scriptures tell us that He's immutable, that He never changes. He never errs. He never changes. He never overlooks anything. He can never be without full, complete, perfect knowledge. I think 1 John 3.20 says it well. It says there, quote, He knows all things. Now, what's amazing, when we speak of God's omniscience, and as David came to prayer here, he knew that. He knew that. And when we speak of God's omniscience, I mean, sometimes we recognize this, that God knows everything in the past, does He? I mean, we, we would think we can read a history book, so sometimes that doesn't blow us away. He knows everything in the past. We would also recognize that Scripture reveals to us many places that God knows everything presently, doesn't He? He knows everything that you're thinking right now. He knows the next word on my mouth. But you know what's amazing when we speak of God's omniscience? He knows everything in the future. Everything in the future. He knows everything about you and I. Because God's knowledge of the future is as complete as His knowledge of the past and present. Listen, if anything were ever to occur apart from God, either directly or indirectly, then something would be independent from Him and He would at once cease to be God. If something happened directly or indirectly, independently from Him. See, nothing in the future is uncertain to God. None of His aims... His plans, His purposes are left contingent on some cause. Look at Psalm 139, 16. You say, how much does God know? He says, Thy eyes have seen My unformed substance, and in Thy book they were all written. Now watch this. The days that were ordained for Me, when as yet there was not one of them. I mean, not only does He know the future, He knows the days that were ordained for you and for I. 
So to say that God is omniscient is to say that He possesses perfect knowledge and therefore He has no need to learn. So David, as he came to pray, you guys, as he comes into the presence of God, do you understand his heart? Do you understand the first two words? Oh, Lord, you know me. You've searched me. You know me. And thou dost know everything about me. See, he knows everything about you and I. Matthew 10.30 says that the very hairs on your head are what? Numbered. Now you say, does God count them? Now with Dewey Bertolini, there might be a few less, right? No, I'm just kidding. You look at it. He's up back there. But he knows you. Now, does, it, does he actually? No, he just intrinsically knows it. So Matthew 10.30 says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Hebrews, just you could write a few of these down. We won't look them up. Hebrews 4.13, you know it, don't you? For there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. There's nothing hidden from His sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Psalm 7, 9, chapter 7, verse 9, says that God tries the hearts and the minds. And what's amazing, look over in Psalm. I want you to see this. Psalm 90. I mean, God, this just brought David to an open confession of God. Psalm 90, verse 8. It says there, that Thou hast placed our iniquities before Thee, our secret sins in the light of Thy presence. Can we hide something from God? He knows even the secret sins. He knows the things about us that we think nobody else knows. Would that escape His knowledge? Job 31.4 says this, Does He not see all my ways and number all my steps? Job 34.21 says this, For His eyes are upon the ways of man and He sees all His steps. There is no darkness or deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And I think I love Psalm 94. Psalm 94, verse 9 says, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Look at verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of what? Man. He knows everything about you and I. And so you guys, when we come to Psalm 139, David comes into the presence of God and says what? Oh Lord, I can't hide from You. I can't get away from You. Your knowledge is too vast. You know everything about me. See now, this will really change our, our life, won't it? Not only just our prayer life, but our life. Let me ask you a question. Did anybody see Cain ruthlessly murder his brother? No. He didn't think anybody saw, but you know what? God saw. Achan, when he hid the gold and the silver in his, in his tent, nobody saw, so he thought. But God knew that he hid it. David, in one lustful, passionate, foolish act, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Nobody knew, so he thought. But God knew and use Nathan the prophet to confront him. I mean, Scripture says, be sure your sin will what? 
find you out. So you guys, as we speak of prayer, it, let me ask you this. Is there anything God doesn't know? Is there anything you can hide from His presence? Is there a way that you want to run from Him and not be close to Him and not commune with Him and not pour your soul out? Are you hiding from Him? Are you running? You can't hide from God because He knows everything. And He's omniscient and David knew that. And that's why He says, Thou hast enclosed me. Verse 5 of Psalm 139. He says, Thou hast enclosed me behind and before. And you know what's amazing about that is this, you guys. Is you and I can hide our hearts. We can hide our past. We can hide our future from men. But we could never hide anything with God. See, and I would say to you this morning, as we grow in our relationship with prayer, we will grow in direct proportion to our view of God. And if we begin to have a proper view of God that He knows everything and sees everything, then that will change our whole life, won't it? You know, I, I, I'm thinking of the story. I think I might have told you it last year, but I remember when I was an RA here. I think I told you, but I'll just tell it for the sake of an illustration. When I was an RA here, uh, you know, in the mid-80s, you know, I found out that one of the girls rented out a hotel for the night because some guy was coming in town down at the Motel 6 off the 405 in Roxford, I think it is. And I thought, well, man, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to be going to Christian chapel and Christian classes and playing the game and then going out in some lustful act, renting a motel with some Marine, who it was, no slander, I just remember that, who was coming into town. So I thought, that's it, I went over to the hotel. And as I was going over to the hotel, I'll never forget it, because my friend was in the car named Paul Gillies, who's now in, uh, in the police department up in San Jose. We noticed not only her car, I was like so mad, I wanted to go knock on every door. They wouldn't tell me what room she was in. I went to the counter, and she wouldn't tell me. I, I said, well, then, Paul, we're going to go knock on every door and wake him up. It's like 11 o'clock. He says, no, you can't do that. So as we're looking, we noticed another student's car. Paul was a cop. He saw a little Master's College yellow sticker on the right bumper of a car. Thought, be sure your sin will find you out. And up on the balcony there, there was two guys and two girls. The two guys were outside, leaning over the edge. I remember it like it was yesterday. No shirt on. So they saw us, and what did they do? They ran into the room. They saw us. So I walked up the stairs with Paul, knocked on the door. This is Scott Artavanis. Open the door. You talk about rocking their world, right? And they didn't open it for two minutes. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. Open the door. And I'll never forget the girls. I knew them well. One of them was even a prayer partner of mine when I was here. We used to pray in the dorms and she was my prayer partner. And I walked into beer cans and clothing thrown all over the floor and just the two girls. And I thought, where's the two guys? And you know where they were? They were just in the back of the room in the bathroom with the light out, okay? With a little crack in the door. Why? Because they didn't want me to see them. They didn't want me to know that it was them. They wanted to hide themselves that think, maybe thinking I didn't see them when they ran up into the room. But I saw them, but I begin to reflect back on that night. Let me ask you a question. Did not God see all their ways? Did not God know all their movements? Did not God know all their actions? And what if I didn't ever find them that night? What if I didn't find them? Did God not see them? He who formed the eye, does he not see? And see, when David came into the presence of God, he said, God, you know me. You know everything about me. 
See, and I'll communicate to you when we come to God in brokenness and we say, God, I can't hide a thing from you. I've hid this from man for years, but I can't hide something from you. Then we'll come with brokenness. Listen, you know it well. Tell me Psalm 51. Against thee and thee only I have what? Sinned. See, David wasn't thinking of Bathsheba. He said, God, against you and you only I have sinned. And then don't forget the next phrase. And done what is evil in what? Thy sight. Man, nobody's solemn with Bathsheba, but God's solemn. And He performed the act in His very eyes. See, boy, when we begin to practice the presence of Christ, it will begin to regulate our conduct and help us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Look over in in, in Psalm 139 again. Not only does God know everything, but just look at this thought here as we close in verse 7. Not only is He omniscient, but He's omnipresent. He says in 139.7, Where can I go from Thy Spirit? And where can I flee from Thy presence? He says, If I ascend to heaven, Thou art there. He's saying, If I go to the highest place, God's there. He says, if I make my bed in hell, Sheol, He says, if I make my bed in hell, behold, Thou art there. He says, I go to the highest place of the earth, You're there. I can go to the lowest place of the earth, You're there. He says, if I take the wings of the dawn, colloquialism, did I say that right? That's what He's saying. He says, if I just take the wings of the dawn, He's just talking, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there Thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. And then he's talking to himself, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will make it be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. God knows everything. Let me ask you a question. You look up there, I see a roof. God doesn't see a roof. That's glass to God, is it not? See, when we contain ourselves in walls, God's not contained. And not only does He know everything, but He's omnipresent. And you say, Scott, what's omnipresent? Well, it's very simple. The word present, of course, means to be here. This is what it means if I, if I defined it. It means to be here or close to or next to. Okay? Here, close to, or next to. If we put the prefix omni on it, it gives the universality that God is everywhere here close to everything, and next to everyone. To say that God is omnipresent is to say that He is in all places at all times. Fully present. God doesn't break Himself up into parts and put Himself over here and in India. No. That blows you away, doesn't it? He's present at all places, at all times, fully present. You say, Scott, I can't grapple. Either can I. And that's because you and I have a finite mind. See, and we try to put God in a box. Look at if you and I begin to realize that God not only is omniscient, that He knows everything about you and I and everything about this world, but He's also omnipresent, that He's everywhere, and that everywhere you go with Him, and where you go tonight, and the girl you date, men, this weekend, God is there. And God knows. And see, David came into the presence of God and he said, Oh, Lord. Thou hast searched me and known me. He says, I can't get away from you. If I go here, you're there. If I go here, you're there. Do you begin to understand Isaiah? You don't have to turn there. 66 1, when, when the prophet said, Heaven is my throne 
And what? Earth is my footstool. You understand it? He's in heaven, but his feet are on earth. Now, what he's saying is I'm everywhere. Don't box me in and say I'm only in heaven because heaven's my throne, but earth is my footstool. And and then he comes to uh, Solomon when he built the temple. And Solomon built him this gorgeous temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he says, but God, you can't be placed here. I can't put you in some temple. See, God is omnipresent. And when we come into the presence of God, it will begin to change our life. Because then we'll know that He sees everything you and I do. One man tells us that he was once shut up in a little room in a gloomy prison for a great while. In the door of his little cell was a very small hole that was cut. At the hole, a soldier was placed day and night to watch him. All this prisoner could see was the soldier's eye. But the eye was always there. Day and night, every moment when he looked up, he always saw that eye. Oh, he said it was dreadful. There was no escape and there was no hiding. When he lay down and when he rose up, that eye was watching him. Is it not any different with us, with God? Now, I say two things to you. If you're living pure, if you're not living right, let me say this first. If you're not walking right, hey, look, I just found out this week. You know what I found out? And I just get mad. I graduated here with a guy this week. And you know what I found out this week? I just heard, and and him and his fiance and girlfriend dated when they were here. I just found out this week that he left his wife. He left his wife. I said, what are you talking? I just don't understand that. They just had a second baby, and he came in to greet the baby and said, good luck taking care of it. Went to school here. And, and I said, How, what do you leave your wife for? And the person who knew the facts said he left the wife to go out with a go-go dancer. That's what she said. Because that's what he does. He hangs out with the boys and they go to nightclubs. And I thought, how ridiculous. How ridiculous. Now listen, if you're not living right, and you're not living pure, and you're pulling things over in the eyes of people, and you think people don't see, all I can say is God sees everything. See, and if that's true, then that will lead you to walk in the fear of the Lord and to practice the presence of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you are following the Lord and walking with the Lord, okay, then don't you think that if God knows everything, that He knows your great trial right now? Don't you think if you're facing a great temptation, that He knows the temptation? Don't you think if your family's struggling back at home, that He knows that? Don't you think that whatever you're going through and you're struggling with, that God could be a God of comfort to you? Don't you think when you say like Israel did, my way is hidden from you, O God, our way's never hidden from God. And some of you feel like you're so far from God when the very fact of the matter is, is He's right next to you. And if you've sinned and you've violated Him, then you know what? I love what Fred Barshaw says at Grace Church. He said the best kept secret in the Christian faith is the confession of sin. Because we blow it all the time with God, don't we? We blow it vertically, and the only thing that's going to get us back in His presence, not that we could ever ultimately flee it, is to confess our sin. And 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, that what? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all evil. Flee to God. 
And when you come and when we speak of prayer and when you guys spend the application of these moments and with John on Monday, and when you pray all day Tuesday, please pray with a proper view of God. When you come before God in your quiet time, acknowledge who He is. Oh God, You know me. You know all things. Father, not only do You know me, but You're present. And then it says back in Psalm 139 that You're omnipotent. That not only do you have all knowledge, all wisdom, but you have all power to accomplish whatever you want. And let that be the governing rule of your prayer life. Let's pray. And as you're praying, as your head's bowed, just pray. Maybe I've said something and you realize that, boy, you thought you were getting away with something. That your way was hidden from God. You, you might need to pray like David did. Psalm 51, create in me. A clean heart, oh God. If there's sin in your life, will you confess that to Him right now? You can't hide it from Him. He knows it. Confess that to Him. Some of you are even sick because of sin. Psalm 32 says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Physical ailments sometimes come because of bitterness in the heart. Confess to God. And if you're here this morning and you're in need of comfort, don't ever forget that Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you feel like He's far from you, don't ever forget what He said in Matthew 28 when He said, Lo, I am with you. Always. And oftentimes when trial and temptation comes, our faith leaves. But God has never left. Oh God, thank You for our time. God, we come before You with humbleness. Lord, You know every motive of every heart in here. And God, we're cut to the quick. And we're humble as we speak and as we come into Your presence. Father, we just pray that as we think of prayer and as we come to You in prayer, that God, You would give us the prayer of David. You would give us the heart and the understanding that David had concerning Your character and Your attributes. And Father, we know Tozer's quote that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, God, we would say this morning that what comes to our mind when we pray about You will reveal the intimacy of our walk with You. God, I pray that You teach us how to pray. That You teach us how to walk with You and live in the light of Your presence every day we live. Father, thanks for these students. Give them Your strength and Your enabling power as they finish out these next weeks, God. And may they rejoice that today they've met and they've learned something more about You revealed in Your Word. We'll praise You and thank You. Father, thanks for the men who are here for the Gideons. Bless their work. Father, may Your Word go out. Father, I think of 1 Peter, I think it's 2.8, where he says we're a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a chosen race, and we're called out to proclaim Your excellencies. And Father, I pray that You'd use their ministry, Father, to give people the Word. God, we do say thanks for all these things. Bless Joel and Karen tomorrow. What a great day that is. God, we give you thanks in your precious name. Amen. You're dismissed.